This is Strange Assembly episode 276, Chicago by Night. I'm Chris Stevenson, and here with me today is Craig Kellner. Hello, Internet. And you are listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. But we are here today to talk about the fact that I recently unlocked General Anakin Skywalker in Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. It's a momentous event. Don't you agree, Woo! Craig? Oh my gosh. It's the biggest news since Kesha released the new album last month. But no, we are here to talk about Chicago by Night for Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition. I think this is the third edition of Chicago by Night, if you don't count the, like, Chronicles of Darkness one? Yeah, I, I have the the old one on my shelf, and actually going through this one, it, it may be kind of nostalgic for the times I spent reading through it, playing a Chronicle I never ended up running. <laughs> <laughs> well, it not that the case with almost all of the By Night source books? I mean, if, if I tried to run Chronicles through all of the By Night source books I have, I'd be even more old and decrepit than I am, but, you know, it would take yeah. a while. That being said, I thought this was a pretty good book overall for a setting book. Yes. The first thing is, and I I appreciate this, especially because some role-playing books are going the go-big route, and sometimes role-playing books these days are going the go-small route. And I think that this iteration of Chicago by Night really benefited from having just way more pages to play with than either of the prior versions. I mean, it it also benefited from, you know, decades of experience and all that. But to me, the core section of the book, right, is the kindred and coteries. Let's talk about who the vampires in the city are and how they get along and what they're planning and stuff. And I think that gets about 180 pages, which is, I, I don't know, maybe in Chicago by Night 2nd Edition, that section was a little over 100, 115 maybe? I, I, I don't know, but I mean, way less, way less. And it gives them the ability to just have these long discussions about each of the characters. Like, so here's a bit some about their mortal life, and then there's more material about what they're up to as a vampire, and here's all these plots and schemes they have going on. And I use plots and schemes loosely it may be the the plot and scheme may be i'm trying to bring justice to the universe you know just a whole bunch of stuff to really make it easy to use the material frankly interesting to read too yeah like even if you're not running the chicago by night chronicle that's in there or not even running in chicago i thought this book did a really good job of being a host for a bunch of characters you can just rip out and just throw into your existing chronicle if you want. It gave you, like, everything you need. Like, it seems, like, small, but it has a place for domain and haven, and it gives you the kind of setting where you might actually encounter this NPC character that, that you need your uh, players to talk to. Like, as a storyteller, like, okay, I want them to talk to this NPC, but where would that be? That was just one tool I didn't have to worry about. Or who do these um, NPCs actually care about? Like, it gives you a whole list of, like, either kindred or mortal touchstones that they care about. So, 
if your players want to go attack an NPC that route or find information about them, it gives you a bunch of tie-ins. Yeah, I got to say, this this would have been a lot more helpful than the old editions of Chicago by Night when I was rifling through source books to steal characters for use in our New York Chronicle. <laughs> <laughs> now, the, the character selection, this, where you, you, you talked about, you know, uh, feeling nostalgic for the old Chicago by Night, it does have repeat appearances, of course, by many of the characters from prior versions of Chicago by Night. It also has a lot of characters who were not in the original Chicago by Night. They make sure to cover all of the clans that are currently supported by published V5 rules. So there's no Ravnos, because I don't know if they're even going to put those in anything. But uh, there's no Samitsi yet, because there's no rules for those. There's no Giovanni slash Hecata slash whatever, because that's not out yet. I mean, they obviously know that it's coming and, you know, basically what the book is going to say, but there's no characters of that in here. But everybody else does show up here and it's still including Kadif, now including Thin Bloods as well. It's surely intentional that the cast of this version of Chicago by Night is, um, how shall we say, more colorful? Yeah, um, that's a very good one. <laughs> Any time... Anyone who spent any like amount of time in Chicago itself can say it's not filled with all pasty people. <laughs> I mean it I mean I'm I'm as pasty as I come, but I've made a few trips down to the city and you know, my eyes were opened uh, as a young person and just seeing the variety of humanity in front of me, like that was just not expressed in some of the older editions, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, that I'm I mean, let me see. You were originally a cheese head, am I recalling correctly? That is correct, yeah. There's lots of ties um, and references to Milwaukee in this book as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, there's, there's definitely more Gary than Milwaukee, which makes sense. I mean, Gary is where it all started, after all. You're back in the original edition, very first Chronicle, right? You're like, let's start in Gary and then get sent off to Chicago. Gary's still kicking around. So, yeah, back in those old adventures, yeah, Loden was the original prince. He got uh, werewolf slashed up pretty good, I guess. Peterson had been the, was, was the prince for a bit in the interim. He's out. Jackson, who uh, I think was kind of mostly presented as a gangbanger in the old versions, is the prince now. Although, it turns out Loden not actually gone? No, no he's, still, he's still poking around there, but... They leave them in for you to, you know, do as you want with them. Maybe he's going to make a comeback in someone's home chronicle. Maybe it's going to be a deep secret that maybe one or two of your PCs um, find out. Maybe one of the PCs is a rival and, you know, end them for good. Try to get some boons from the prince off that. But, uh, yeah, right now, Kevin Jackson reigns supreme. And he's been basically allowed as the up-and-coming star of the Camarilla for his... uh take over the praxis of Chicago and making it the jewel of North America. Yeah, I do have to say, I, I know it says that Chicago is the jewel of North America and stuff, and, I mean, you can get away with that because, okay, it was the first. It's like Marvel can print something calling the Fantastic Four like the world's greatest comic magazine. Nobody actually believes that, but 
you know, whatever. It was like their first superhero comic from the 60s, sure. But it never really explains why Chicago is considered the jewel of the Camarilla. I mean... It's because they have the setting book for it. I know, I know. Like, yeah, he, he, he's doing a, a decent job, don't get me wrong, but is not any... And, and the, the, the funny thing is that that... It's interesting, from my perspective, which maybe I'm just reading it into it, you know, my own personal opinions and stuff. I'm like, yeah, I notice how eh, there's not really that much of the whole, like, the Camarilla is the in-club and everybody else is the out-club. The Bruja Primogen is still a Primogen. The Gangrel Primogen is still a Primogen. There are Anarchs, but there were always Anarchs. The Second Inquisition, like, it's there? See, Chris, this is exactly why Chicago is the new jewel of the Camarilla. It's taking all these plot points that people might have had issues with in VIC-5 and kind of, you know, putting them into the background. <laughs> Even the Nosferatu had the classic look, and I, don't know, I was a, very much a fan of that. Yes, the, the Nosferatu are generally depicted as full-on ugly instead of the sort of just, okay, human got who got hit with the ugly stick uh, of, of V5. Oh, and, and speaking of depiction like oh it's it's art again <laughs> yes it's definitely the best fifth edition art so far there is almost no photograph stuff left and i don't i don't have like a philosophical problem with photography in general instead of you know drawn art but yeah by people who listen to this or read my stuff who are are probably well aware by now that I'm not a fan of the way a lot of the art is deployed in the V5 core book and then in the Camarilla book, which is funny then. The picture that I liked the least was, of course, the La Sabra clan iconic photograph or whatever you want to call it, uh, who just does not cut an impressive figure at all. It's like, if I could think of the last thing that says La Sombra, I'd have some, like, stupefied dude in a button-down and tie. On the other hand, I absolutely love the full-page art that introduces the city chapter, where it's got the, like, mm. people at a sports bar, and welcome to Wrigley Field in the background, yeah, they, and, the, and the, vamp- the Cubby fan, yeah. The vampire in a Cubs jersey. It's good art in a vacuum, but it's also amazing for this place in this book. Great job by the artist, great job by whoever it was who selected it to go there or wrote the description of what they wanted it to look like or however that that process worked. Just really good. Yeah, another note on the art, I know that they, they switch artists for like the pictures. No one, no one person can do all this themselves, but props for them for keeping the same color palette throughout the book. It really had a consistency that I felt tied it all together. Each clan is done by one artist for like the character portraits some of the artists do multiple clans so it's not like there's 15 different artists doing things but you know if you look at the toreador all the toreador pictures are done by the same artist you look at the caitiff all the caitiff pictures are done by the same artist art's a lot harder to review in uh in an audio format so it's it's nice to see it again it's not the first one that did that the Anarch book 
was all drawn art and fall of london was kind of like i want to say half and half I, I think it was actually less than half photographs but it it actually deployed its photographs better like more of the photographs were sort of background scenes or sort of stylistic things the ones that just pictures of people standing there not really looking like vampires was kind of the the central problem of the photographs and fall of london avoided that at least but oh so we have la sombra here now what do you what do you think about the la sombra now being in the camarilla well I personally have the opinion that all vampires were members of the Camarilla, whether they wanted to be or not, or at least um, subject to its laws. As far as the new uh, V5 lore goes, like it would make sense for those Samra want to bail on the Sabbat because, like right now, we have we know really nothing about them. So I can only assume that they're out there just like you know beating things up in the desert, and the Sombra were like, "Oh yeah, that's not great for." Our, long-term game. Let's get back to ruling. So, with, like, the Anarchs getting crushed down, Camarilla was really the only game left in town. Yeah. So, I think it, in broad terms, it makes sense from a story point of view in that, like you said, the Sabbat kind of fallen apart, or has completely fallen apart, you know, depending on how you look at it, and I think the La Sombra were only in the Sabbat because they just got invented to fill out antagonist rates. As they kind of later got developed, they don't make a super ton of sense. They're not they're not the clan that you'd pick to be like the let's kill our founder and be in a perpetual state of rebellion. I kind of picture the the typical La Sombra being like frustrated middle management trying to deal with like a bunch of black hand monsters up above and just lunatic packs below. <laughs> yeah, and, and the Ventru are already over here, so I guess we're stuck with the Sabbat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the other thing is that they it just it just opens them up more. I've always preferred Camarilla games. I know a lot of people really liked the Sabbat and wanted to play it and all, but it's it's just a completely different game style to me. It, the Sabbat becomes interesting as a game to some extent when you make it less like the Sabbat and more like the Camarilla and it ceases to be just a bunch of raving, blood-crazed lunatics and they actually... It's like, well, we don't officially follow the Masquerade, but we do anyway. And actually, there's a lot of scholarship and politics and, like, how are you different from the Camarilla at this point? Because they say they're different. When you bring everybody into elig- like formal eligibility for the Camarilla... From a play standpoint, it just opens options up. You don't have this, oh, we're playing a Camarilla game. I guess we're just going to have to close off half of the player character options. Now you really can, like at least for the clans that they've gotten to, everybody is either a member of the Camarilla or a member of the Anarch movement. And then you just kind of be like, oh, but the Camarilla and the Anarchs are largely still just hanging out in the same cities anyway. And so now I can play whatever. You know, if I was the ministry, I would be pissed. Like, I tr- I try to get into the Camarilla, and I get beaten out by the Banu Hakim. And now, with this book, the Sombra just waltz in and say, yeah, we're in. I have to admit that if you told me, 
okay, Chris, you are going to start a 5th edition vampire game tomorrow. I'd probably just be like, yeah, all of those are open. There's no such thing as this clan is in the Camarilla and that clan is not in the Camarilla. You can be an Anarch or a Camarilla loyalist as you choose. Whatever. You're not restricted by your clan on which you're going to be. Which, again, is to some extent the thing they do. I mean, the minist- the ministry's in here, but the ministry aren't Anarchs in here either. They're just, they're really still independents. They kind of like get to show and hang out with the Camarilla, but they don't, you know, have a primogen a member of the Primogen or anything like that. But I just... I really like how they have uh, just assembled the city here, Here, frankly. Uh, oh, the Lissambra also have Obtenebration, which is also going to be the signature discipline, as it were. Not that people... Not that clans really have signature disciplines anymore, except for the Tremere. That's going to be the discipline of the Hecata as well. So you see powers in Oblivion that take the old La Sombra of Tenebration powers and necromancy stuff and stuff from the Cappadocian Giovanni offshoots like the Semedi. Like you see their powers show up. Like I, I suspect that one of the one of the three dot powers is the old Semedi power that lets you shrivel someone and just touch somebody and do ag damage which is an ability they didn't even let Protean keep. So I suspect it will be a popular from mechanical point of view for characters to take that. There's going to be a lot of La Sombra walking around shriveling people's limbs. I'm just saying. Yeah, just one Rouse check. I mean, uh, you could do a lot worse for that. <laughs> it's, it's it's totally going to be a thing. Uh, <laughs> a strength, strength plus brawl roll? Yeah, I mean, if your character doesn't have, like, uh, potence or anything... It's already way better. And... I think it's just a flat two ag damage against a vampire or something like that. But it's, a- I mean, a- ag damage is no joke, right? Mm. Not that feral claws are shabby or anything like that. But uh, you're probably not going to have that many characters who have access to both. So I-, I am still looking forward to the player's guide. Presumably, I mean, they've said it will. So I'm going to say presumably, like having more dot options more more options for the the discipline powers so that should be cool but that's not this book one thing that i liked about this book um is it brought back um something i really like from a lot of the old book settings is the relationship maps because like if i'm going to run the game it's great that i have all these uh, details about each of the npcs in the world but seeing a visual representation about you know what click do they fit in who do they hate in that clique, even though they hang out with them anyways? Who are they manipulating? I just thought that was uh, a nice thing to, for them to preserve. And, you know, they, they kept it up to date. It, it looks sharp. It's not just, like, scribbled on the back of the map like, you know, I would have done. But uh, they're pretty in-depth. Um, you could see at a at a glance, just like, this is the baby course. You, um, you could see uh, your bandmates in there. You can see uh, the government who's talking about who because it's a lot for a storyteller to keep track of like what are the inner thoughts about you know a certain primogen's rivalry with another primogen and who's going to support what um issue i just really like the visual representation there <laughs> i do like and i've always liked the coterie maps it's uh, it's it's interesting too the uh i mean well one they 
they just they look better than they used to because if nothing else they're now in full color i have a great deal of nostalgia for you know the old vampire art but if you go back and look it's not as probably not as good as you remember it once you get past the like timothy bradstreet pieces <laughs> It was also interesting, though, I, I I think the relationship maps were kind of more useful in the old books, simply because they were the only place in the book you were ever going to find out that sort of information, whereas here, it's giving you a visual representation, but there's a lot of it that you actually did have in the descriptions. They had the word count here to do it. Yeah. But I, I still, still like the visual aid. Uh, I'm curious which which, like, returning and new characters you found the most interesting or different or something. And I'm, I'm thinking about this because I'm looking at, at the moment, I'm looking at the Anarch Center coterie map, and, and Bobby Weatherbottom is on it. And I have this vague recollection of that as this, like, semi-romantic, sweet sort of story with him. And now it's just a complete creep show. Yeah, he he looks a bit more bro-like here. Well, well, not not just his picture, but right. This is the for those who you know do not remember random, not actually important at all characters from you know twenty-five years ago. He is the. I mean, the important part for this is that he is a venture whose feeding restriction is one person, one person in the whole world. Back in the day, it was kind of presented as this right star-crossed lovers prevailing against political machinations and stuff like that. And now it's... I mean, I guess in practical matters, how is that ever, ever going to work out? You can oh, only yeah. ever feed from one person. But he literally just keeps comatose and yeah, <laughs> pumping blood through her so she can feed off her. I mean, it, it's not good. It's really creepy you still kind of get the backstory but and it ends up in this really twisted place like until you get there it still doesn't give the sense of creepiness but it's i don't know it was just a mess he's a mess they're a mess it's not good yeah if if i was if i was a player playing this uh, npc as my character i would severely have this talk with my storyteller saying, man, I messed up picking my restriction, didn't I? And <laughs> is there anything we could do to change that? <laughs> well, it, it's an NPC, so it's not the same thing, but it's just very different feeling. That was, you know, a lot of the times with the returning character, it was like this, oh, it's this familiar, even if they were kind of a jerk. Like, I think you and I both like Horatio Ballard, right? You're like, oh, it's Horatio, that's cool. Bobby was just a little like, oh, it's Bobby. It's like, uh, He's still what? around? <laughs> uh, Bobby! Oh, uh, what'd you do? What'd you do? <laughs> so I didn't know if there were any random nostalgic observations you wanted to Well, we we talked about Ballard, and for me, like I think his role becomes even bigger in V5, because I really think that every like Ventru um, game needs to have that old money, decadent guy who's his job is just like throw resources at the problem and he expects it to go away because it really should if he throws enough resources at it. And in this book, um, I thought it was great because like there's rumors like, oh, he could actually step up and make a candidate for a prince, but he's more of a behind the scenes guy in this one. I I, I thought it worked um, for, well for his character. Probably good that they didn't have, you know, let's have yet another child of Loden. 
pick up the friendship and you and on the the topic of a powerful elders running around so chicago no longer has both of its methuselahs because that's one of the interesting things right the original chicago not by night is from back when one of the big themes was very much the elders ultimately control everything and it really came down to everything in chicago back when this the setting was first laid out was just everybody was just pawns in this long-running feud between the two methuselahs who's who lived in the city now one of them's gone went bye-bye off to the uh gehenna war now you're dead one of them's still there but it, i mean it, it, thematically it's just even the one who's still there is not just like now running unfettered and amok through the city. Yeah. They also got rid of a few potential masquerade issues. Capone is gone. The like nine year old Tremere Regent is gone. Tremere are much smaller now. Yes. <laughs> you still have the oddity that like of the four people who are listed as living in the Tremere Chantry, one of them's not a Tremere still. Mm. <laughs> So back to the dueling Methuselah things, I'm I'm actually a fan of them getting rid of like one of them. One issue I know a lot of players had with um, some of the earlier Chicago books was if really these two Methuselahs are controlling ev- everything, what? Why should my actions matter? Am, am I just a pawn in this too? Why, should we bother playing this? The answers to those questions were: your actions do matter. Because you are a pawn, and our pawns matter to us a little bit, and presumably, yes, you should bother playing, but no, like, flat out, the original Chicago by Night, like, the whole thing was, you're a pawn, and, like, the people that you thought were powerful and trying to make you a pawn, yeah, they're pawns too. Everybody's a pawn. So, it's a classic setting, it's been updated, it's been refreshed, it's presented in a well-written, easily usable format. If you wanted to just run Chicago by Night, you've got a whole web of detailed characters with interlocking motivations and built-in plots that you can use to kind of push the game off. We're not going to go into it, but of course, if you wanted, you could start, you know, a Chicago by Night off with the adventure chronicle, whatever, mini chronicle that's in the back of this, which is called The Sacrifice and is you know, about, I don't think it's a spoiler when I say that it's about the Lysambra trying to join the Camarilla. Who knew? Or, like you mentioned earlier, a lot of characters that you might be able to drag and drop in. I I don't know. There's a lot of lore sheets, and I appreciate the volume of lore sheets provided, because, like, 23 lore sheets. And I, I don't usually buy vampire supplements for mechanical options but it's still you know nice to get them but other than the volume of lore sheets the mechanics in here are kind of eh the lore sheets get repetitive and there are some efforts to introduce some sort of side subsystems that i i don't think i would i would want to use any of them like one of them i'm like this subsystem requires me to keep track of how good the utilities are in your neighborhood. Hell no. I, <laughs> I, no. 
No, 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 no. That is not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, if the players have a domain and one of them makes an offhand comment about their pipes rusting up again, I might think about that, but I'm not going to, like, mechanicalize and roll dice whether they have running water that day or not. It requires you to mechanically assign a rating for how consistent, like, util- public services are. How often the trash get, you know, the, the trash pickup gets missed or how fast the snowplow comes. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's, it's in service to something that's, that's interesting, which is having some mechanical effects for areas. And we actually saw that first in the little booklet that comes with the, the V5 storyteller screen. But there it's just like, oh, you're at the airport, apply plus one to this, minus one to that at some of the random locations. I think that's interesting, but I don't want to have to like give different ratings to different areas and different characteristics to figure out how much the bonus is. No, 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 no. They're trying to introduce uh, bloodline mechanics early. That's what they're doing for the video game. Oh. <laughs> well, because that's clearly what some of the stuff in the V5 core book is. It's like, oh, right, thin bloods are a thing because you start bloodlines too as a thin blood, right? That's interesting. I mean, I know it's coming out. I don't, like, follow every single up-to-the-minute thing about its mechanics, but that makes me feel better, at least. I don't know. I thought they did a good job with the coterie types. Like, one, they gave them names I can remember. A couple of them would actually make sense for player characters, and other ones would be harder to use for player characters, but you could see using them for NPCs. Or, I mean, if the PCs are a fugitive or a carnival coterie, those kind of imply that you're traveling around, which means you're designing the entire chronicle around that coterie type. So they're they're a little bit harder to use, but literally just the fact that they gave them names I can remember, instead of making up and using some, like, antique French word. I did like the corporate one, because, like, it gives the player characters to have a business together. It gives them internal thing to kind of work together at. I thought that was a good one to use. The Somnophile one, you're basically in service. We talked about pawns on before to a sleeping elder or something. You're at the end of his puppet strings. I like that they did those. I think my favorite lore sheet is Moncada. It had a couple of entries that were mechanically distinctive. They're things you couldn't replicate by just like taking dots in allies or or something like that. It's super expensive, so. It's not like one of these, like, this is a mechanically great call, but there's his five-dot entry, the Purity of Remorse, I think is the first way that makes it, like, marginally easier to maintain your humanity once you get up to eight or higher. Because as it stands right now, once your humanity's eight, any time you stain, you're at a 50-50 shot to lose a dot of humanity for anything you ever do. And this one says that you always get at least two dice. So now you only have like a 25% chance of losing a dot of humanity. Those aren't stupendous odds, but, you know, they are way better. (laughs) Yeah, I think, like you mentioned before, there's like mechanical flaws with the lore sheets in this batch. Um, I think what they're doing is, I don't know, maybe taxing you with dots in order for you to be able to introduce that bit of lore that you want in your game that you're playing in as a player. And as long as your storyteller is okay with it, um, 
I guess it's the imagination tax. You, you, if you couldn't find a way to uh, justify your three dots of resources, you can you could be part of Ballard Industries. <laughs> I think you're referring back to there's a a lengthy written review where I go into some more of this on the website. Craig and I have talked before, but one of the reasons I'm I end up not super excited about the lore sheets, even though I really like the lore sheet concept, is that there there seem to be a lot of the lore sheets that end up effectively being like take an ally. Some of them are literally just like spend three dots on this lore sheet, get a three dot ally, or get three dots of resources, or whatever it is. And that's that's not exciting, but that's I guess whatever. It's a different way of of buying it. But yeah, there are some where you get fewer, right? It's like buy three dots of this and then uh you get like resources too. And you're like, what? I don't understand. Or it's three, but it only applies in very particular matters. Although I, I will know, I think there are some of these that indicate the possibility that when the player's guide comes out, they're going to adjust how some of these backgrounds work. They don't have the double costing for allies, which please, please needs to go away. So I hope that's a thing. But yeah, you but then there are also a symbol of them that, that actually go the other way. And this isn't the first V5 one that's done that. But, you know, right, you've got a, like, the one, one dot Capone gang is, it's a one, so it's a one dot lore sheet that gives you allies one and contacts one. Except, really, it's like contacts two and allies three, because your contact slash ally is an entire gang. My final thoughts on this book is that it's a very good reference for people who have not been to Chicago, or even if you have, how to put together a city book, how to introduce elements um, of the city and populate it with kindred. It's it's a very good template, um, even if you're not using Chicago. One thing I really liked was the map. I thought a lot of the other books, um, they had maps, but it's like only zeroed in on this one specific area, whereas you basically got downtown Chicago and all the surrounding suburbs and they have scribbled in there. They got the clan iconography denoting who might be uh, hanging out where. There's actual streets labeled. You got lupine territory. It just, just looking at the map alone gives me like ideas where, okay, where, if I was the storyteller, where would I put the PC's domain that they get? Or where would be interesting places to stage like a gunfight or something i'm I'm a very visual person and like seeing like cross sections of major highways bridges rail yards uh, ports there's a lot of potential there that um you just don't get with big descriptions of the city i'm all for just giving the storyteller tools and there's nothing on this um that you can't just turn it over to your players um and have them look them off the same material you are because one of the biggest things i don't like about handouts um, for some games they have like the gm's copy which has a bunch of secrets and then they have the player's copy which is basically blank this kind of lets you just do what you want with it and it could all be rumors anyways when you get to it chicago by night is my favorite of the v5 supplements so far we'll see how much competition the Player's Guide and uh, Cult of the Blood Gods give it. I also have not looked at the New Blood Starter Kit, but since it's a starter kit, it's probably not 
probably hard for it to be my favorite, you know, since that's not its role. Its role is to get you into it, not to be your favorite thing ever. I hear good things about it from for what it is. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe it will be the next Lost Mind of Fandelver. Who knows? But if you're doing V5, then I think that Chicago by Night is very interesting to check out and read. And it, it's a good read if you're just reading. If you're a storyteller, there's a bunch of stuff you can poach if you want. Go to town. You think it's worth checking out there, Craig? Bang for your buck, $45. Uh, it was, you know, I thought a very sound investment. I got way over my uh, $5 per hour uh, ratio I have for anything in entertainment in this one. But, yeah, solid book, solid construction, solid artwork, and they paint a de- uh, really good uh, Cabernet City for you to play in. All right. Chicago by Night for Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition is from Onyx Path Publishing. Uh, it was originally a Kickstarter, but it is now available at retail. If your local store isn't carrying or won't getting it, or isn't carrying it, and for some reason they're dumb and won't order it for you, uh, I think they're also being distributed through the Modifius website, which is the other company that's publishing uh, Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition books. But thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next time. You've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to this podcast there on iTunes or at your favorite podcatching service. We always appreciate it if you leave us a rating or review on those services, especially iTunes, because it helps other people find the podcast. You can find us at the usual social media. We're at Strange Assembly on Twitter, Strange Assembly on Facebook, and although I have to admit I don't use it a super lot, also Strange Assembly on Instagram. If you want to get a hold of me directly, I'm Chris at StrangeAssembly.com. I always love to hear your comments, criticism, feedback, and so forth. But until then, for Craig Kellner, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.